Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're back with another Youth Takeover show here at Forum. It's where we work with young people to deliver shows that they're passionate about. Today, Khadija Khan, a junior at Santa Clara High School, and Mahi Jarawala, a junior at Monta Vista, put together a show on South Asian representation in film and television. Hey, Mahi, you want to tell us what we have in store? We're talking about the particular difficulties and successes of South Asians in Hollywood. And Khadija, who's joining us? We've got an agent, a writer, a producer, but first we'll hear from the breakout star, Risha Marjani. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal, and I am joined this morning by co-hosts from our Youth Takeover Week, Mahi Jarwala, a junior at Monta Vista High. Welcome. Thank you for having us on. And Khadija Khan, a junior at Santa Clara High School. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Excited to be here. So you two landed a pretty major celebrity to talk to, but for those who aren't familiar with her, well, why don't you tell us about her? This morning, we'll be talking to actress Rija Murjani, who plays Gumla in Mindy Kaling's Netflix hit, Netflix hit series, Never Have I Ever, the first ever show with a South Asian American lead. Wow. And why'd you want to talk to her? Well, she portrays the strong, independent woman working in STEM. Many South Asian characters in the past have always been centered around them being South Asian, but she was portrayed in this really multi-dimensional character, which I just thought was beautiful to see on screen. I mean, for you two, why did you want to do this particular show? Like, why South Asian representation in film and TV? Yeah, for a lot of people growing up, especially in South Asian American households, it can be difficult to get into creative fields. For me personally, I want to go into the journalism and media field. Mm -hmm. But seeing more South Asian excellence and talent out there really inspires South Asian youth to portray what they pursue, what they want to go into. Same for you, Mai. Yeah, this past year I've actually been working on a research project where I analyze how South Asians have been portrayed in media, um, specifically looking at the past in children's shows. So um, Ravi from Disney's Jesse was the main one that I looked at, and it's just been largely stereotypical. But however, in the past couple years, we've seen this growth in South Asian representation on film. So I really just wanted to highlight that and, you know, recognize how important that is for young people, especially. All right, Lauren, we... Um why don't, yeah, why don't you want to take it away to the uh, tape we've got here? 
Yeah, so she wasn't able to make it today, but we recorded an interview with her a few days ago. We started we started by asking how she got into acting and how she pursued that living here in the Bay Area. I grew up in a family of performing artists. My parents are both musicians. They have a Bollywood music band. And I started learning Indian classical dance when I was five years old in the Bay Area. And I developed a passion for storytelling, acting, and dance pretty much all around the time I started dancing when I was five. And uh, so my parents had me do like school plays and I would go to drama camps in the summer and uh, just did everything that I could to involve myself with theater and acting growing up throughout school, high school, and even in college. Um, You know, there wasn't that much opportunity, but you know, I still was young. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew that I loved acting and I wanted to become an actress one day. That was my dream. But, you know, I don't know if for sure that would happen. Uh, and, you know, as a South Asian, there was a lot less opportunity for people like me back then. There was a, a very big South Asian community, I'm sure you guys know, in the Bay Area. And, you know, arts is something that is such a big part of our culture. And that's something that I was so grateful for growing up because as a dancer and as somebody who wanted to get into acting, you know, there was there was a lot of opportunity for me, at least in the South Asian community to perform at, you know, South Asian events and community events and um, musical uh, concerts and things like that. So um, all of those things really helped to foster my passion. Love to hear about your family's background in the creative space and especially in the media and film. What did representation look like for South Asians at the time? I think representation is kind of a new concept, to be honest, or at least it's something that people didn't really used to talk about when I was growing up. I don't think I ever had the words or the language for what representation in media meant. I don't think I ever even thought about that because it was just so outside of anything that we knew or talked about growing up. Um, You know, the only place that we saw people who looked like us was in Bollywood or in the Indian film industry in general. You know, we never saw anybody who looked like us in Hollywood, or if we did, it was, you know, in those more stereotypical type of projects and roles. Um, So I, you know, I, I never really felt, I guess you could say, I never felt a lack of representation because I just didn't think about representation at all. I, if anything, I just tried to watch anything that I felt like I related to in any way possible, you know, and for me, that was mostly like Disney Channel shows, just watching awkward teenagers and kids my age dealing with the same types of pressures, which is why I think people love shows like Never Have I Ever, because, you know, for me, when I was growing up, a show like that, the closest thing would have been like Lizzie McGuire. And even though, you know, I wasn't a blonde girl, I related a lot to Lizzie McGuire. And I think that's why people love Never have I ever, because even though she is an Indian girl, the things that she goes through, the pressure and, and, you know, the awkwardness of being in high school, I think anybody can relate to that. Talking about having someone to relate to, whether it be on screen or in your own community, um, although you mentioned that representation wasn't necessarily something that you thought about back then, when it came to seeing people who you could relate to, not having South Asian people on screen, how did that impact, I guess, your own view of the future? Yeah, you know, I said, I was saying that I I didn't really think about representation, but that doesn't mean it didn't still affect me. Even I just didn't know that that's what was happening. You know, I had a lot of insecurity and I had a lot of identity crisis issues and a lot of weird phases that I went through. And I think a lot of those things probably wouldn't have, would have been better, I should say, if I did have 
someone, a, a reference point in the media. And I did feel represented and did feel seen. Um, you know, I, I, not having people who looked like me didn't help with my aspirations for wanting to become an actor because I felt like it affected even my opportunities in school when I was trying to do plays. I felt like I wasn't getting leading roles. I wasn't, I didn't make the cheerleading team. And I did used to think that I think it has a lot to do with my skin color. And, um, and, and I knew that if I ever wanted to be an actor, I would have to move to a country like India or something because I didn't even think it was a possibility for me to go to Hollywood. Nobody ever talked about that. Nobody I knew growing up did anything like that. So you know, it was only once I went to college and there started to be a little bit more representation that the idea even sparked for me to move to LA, but I had never even thought about that before that. When did you first learn about the role of Kamala and like, what was your initial reaction to learning about the show? Mindy Kaling put out an open casting call looking for the three South Asian leads, Davy, Kamala, and Melanie. And I didn't know anything about it. I, I had worked with Mindy very briefly. It was my first TV job ever. Around the time that I moved to LA, it was about nine years ago, I, I did a small role on the Mindy Project, which was really exciting. It was the first thing I'd ever done on television. But it was a really, really tiny part. And I never, you know, talked to her or saw her again. after that. Um, so when I heard about Never Have It, I, I remember it was funny. People would be calling me like, oh, my gosh, why don't you call Mindy and like ask her to put you on the show? I'm like, it doesn't really work like that. She probably doesn't even know who the heck I am anymore. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I saw that that casting call and I actually was not going to send in um, a submission for it because I just thought that so many people were going to apply. I knew so many people were applying. Every actress, you know, that I know who's South Asian around my age was auditioning for Kamala. Every, even friends of mine who are not actors who don't even live in LA were auditioning for Kamala. And I, I guess I was intimidated and I just thought, well, if they ever decide to have auditions in LA, then hopefully my agent will get me an audition. But then I don't know, I guess I started to feel the pressure like, okay, everyone around me is sending in submissions. Maybe I should too. For you playing Gamla, what is your favorite part and what's the special part about playing a character like Gamla who's so independent and driven and really has such a personality of her own that we don't really get to see with a lot of South Asian characters on film? Yeah, you know what I think is so brilliant about all of the characters on Never Have Ever, and I'll specifically speak about the South Asian characters, is how fully fleshed out and multidimensional they are because you know, we've never seen any of these characters before. And, you know, with Kamala, we we never see characters like her who, yes, has an accent, but is not stereotypical in any way and is, you know, has so many different layers and, and colors. And, um, you know, she's smart. She's she's silly. She's confident, but then she's also not confident. Like there's just so many dimensions to her. And and, you know, I have so many friends and family who like Kamala have come here, you know, from India or South Asia or even other countries, you know, the immigrant experience of coming here to pursue work or higher education and, you know, what comes along with that. I think we're just scratching the surface with characters like Kamala. You know, there's so much more to to be seen and so many more stories to be told. But I think that it's so exciting to play a character like her, who I know is representative of so many, so many people here. And you kind of talk about the support system that you've been able to kind of create with the South Asian people that do are involved with film. What do you think just having that like community means for you? Oh, it's so important. You know, I think every community that exists 
in LA that in Hollywood, I should say that is successful is because of the fact that they have a strong community and they have strong connections and they support each other and they lift each other up. And that's something that's still very new, to be honest, in the South Asian community. And I've, I've seen it become so much stronger since I first came here 10 years ago. I felt like when I first came here, it was, there was a lot of South Asian people and a lot of groups of communities and, you know, people who would support each other, but there was still a lot of disconnect and people who didn't know each other. And there was a lot of competitiveness. And I'm not saying that's not still here today. It is, but you know, there's a reason for that also, because we've always been made to feel like there's only room for one of us. And, uh, that's why I just think it's so important that we do support each other, that we do lift up, lift each other up. Because when one of us succeeds, I really do believe all of us succeed. And never have I ever is just an example. It's a watershed moment for South Asians because this show has done so well. I have personally seen how it has opened doors for other people, not just actors, but people across the board. Um, looking back at like your projects, how do you feel like your younger self would have reacted and kind of reflected on where you are today? I think she'd be relieved. <laughs> you know, when I was when I was your guys' age, I just say, which is when I was, you know, just dreaming about being in movies, but didn't know if that would ever actually happen. Um, that was kind of what got me through school because I never felt like I belonged. I always, I always felt like an outcast and had, you know, confidence issues and I never knew if I would make it as an actor. So, you know, if I saw Regardless of seeing me, if I had just seen a show like Never Have I Ever, even if I was not in it, I think that would have given me so much more confidence back then and and in so many ways. And also, I, I do believe that it's not just about how we see ourselves. It also shapes how other people see us. We're so, so grateful for your time today. Yeah, you guys too. I, I can't wait to see what you guys do in the future. Oh, that was so good. That was my two co-hosts this morning. Khadija Khan, a junior at Santa Clara High, and Mahi Jarawala, uh, a student at uh, Monta Vista High School. Sorry about that. Um, they were interviewing Richa Morjani, who stars in Mindy Kaling's hit Netflix series, Never Have I Ever. They also produced this show about South Asian representation in the film and TV industry. And we'd love to hear uh, from you. When do you feel you were represented in the media? You give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. All the social things, KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal, here with Khadija Khan and Mahi Jarawala. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Youth Takeover Week here on Forum, as well as across KQD, where we work with young people in the community. 
to produce things that they really care about. This morning, I'm joined by Mahi Jarwal, a junior at Monta Vista High School, and Khadija Khan, a junior at Santa Clara High School. And they've produced this show about South Asian representation in the film and TV industry. We want to welcome in a couple more guests. We've got Bali Chandasekaran. He's a writer on Modern Family and 30 Rock, also a producer and an old friend of mine. Welcome to the show, Bali. Thanks for having me, guys. We've also got Raj Raghavan, head of talent at the Color Creative Management Agency. Welcome, Raj. Good morning. Thank you. Khadija and Mai, take it away. Vali Chandrasekharan, starting with you, how did you end up in Hollywood and what brought you to screenwriting? Um, I found out, I realized pretty early in my life that I wanted to be a comedy writer. I'm <laughs> now 41 years old, and so it was a pre-internet era, and I remember wanting to stay up under any, finding any excuse to stay up to watch Late Night with David Letterman and Conan O'Brien's Late Night <laughs> Show. And my parents would only let me do this if I was working or studying. So I would just always do claim I had homework and read my textbooks in order to stay up late and watch those lunatic bits because this was an era before YouTube. So if I wanted to see weirdos like Brother Theodore or Harvey Pekar on David Letterman, like... It was it was only when they like ran weird reruns or a recurring guest would come on the show. So it was the only chance I had to to see that stuff. And then when Conan came on the air, it was the weirdest, funniest stuff I had ever seen in my life. And in a world before Adult Swim really took hold, and I was in a small town in Pennsylvania, none of this had ever crossed my my eyes. And when I saw it for the first time, I just immediately thought, like, I have to do this with my life. I love it so much. Bali, how do you go from there to actually working in Hollywood, though? I get asked this question a lot. It is kind of a boring answer, which is, <laughs> like, it, it reminds me of this John Cage quote, the composer, and the line is, always be around. And I think about that a lot. It's like, move to L.A. and the people that you meet will be the people who in five years are all making stuff like you're making stuff and just hang out with other people who want to make stuff and want to do the same sort of thing that you're doing and read each other's stuff and make each other's stuff together. Go to the same weird house parties in a car of 10 people at a time and suddenly take over the party and make it weird when you don't know anybody else and leave and over time, you'll build your community up in the in the in the town that where most of the content in America is made, and you'll start making stuff with fun, interesting people as you meet them. And was that scary for you initially, especially because there is a lack of South Asian representation in that film industry in LA? I would say yes and no. Yes, because of course it's scary, and no, because. I did it when I was so young that I was so naive that I didn't think about it. And I look back to that time in my life now a lot and I think, man, I wish I had that kind of lack of awareness about the world, about how hard and how scary things are, and that I would just try things and not know what the outcome would be or not know that there's not a really good shot of this working out, but working really hard to try and make it happen. And I think a lot of the skills in my life, both in my actual career and just my personal life, were formed during that era. 
And now that you're in the field reflecting on your projects and things that you've worked on, why is representation in writing rooms important? I think it's really important, especially in TV. So it's important everywhere, right? Like you want to see different points of view whenever you're coming up with any idea, because if a best idea is truly going to win, a lot of people coming at it from a lot of different points of view helps that. In a writer's room, I think it's especially important because I spent my career mostly working on network TV, making shows that were supposed to be watched by millions and millions of people. They were really mass shows, not like some of these like more niche, like great shows that are more art house shows that don't aren't trying to get a gigantic audience, right? Like I came from the era of My Name is Earl and Modern Family and 30 Rock. And when you're doing that, it's to get the biggest possible audience, you the trick is kind of to have a lot of people to feel themselves in the show, to like relate to the show or a character in the show or a dynamic in the show, uh, something. And the only way to do that is to have a group of people with pretty varied brains and experiences talking about everything nonstop and constantly for days and days at a time until it gets richer and richer and richer until the show feels like it represents a lot and that contains a lot within it. And I think it's as as writers rooms have gotten more diverse, shows have gotten more interesting, especially if they're written by they're run by a showrunner who understands how to pick these different pieces from different people's life experience. And Raj, you work with an agency with the mission towards diversity. What roadblocks do you see that is impeding diversity in the industry? Um, just to clarify real quick, um, it's a management company, not an agency. It's a mm. it's a fine distinction. But, yeah, what um, is that distinction, Raj? <laughs> I have no idea. So agencies are tend to be bigger and um, have more clients and, and represent sort of more of a transactional uh, deal-making part of the business. And uh, at the management company, we are more sort of vibes big picture, only. career, oh. strategy, um, sort of th- a 360 view of what our clients are doing, whereas the agents are like much more like um, one deal and then on to the next. Um, it, it, you know, we're all in, in service of finding opportunities for our clients. So it's it's not a, uh, a major distinction, but it is a, a separate sort of side of the business. For sure. Well, what uh, roadblocks do you see that is impeding diversity in the industry of the management company that you work for? I mean, I think things are getting a lot better. Um, but I, I would say that the two biggest roadblocks right now are, you know, consolidation in the business with fewer and fewer um, buyers and sort of big companies sort of controlling what is made and greenlit. And which means that there's just fewer opportunities for shows from different perspectives. And then the other thing that I still think we have to push through is that at the moment, the default still is, you know, a white male story, right? And anything other than that is what is considered diverse. And, you know, you'll still see things like casting breakdowns where they're, they'll use phrases like all American, which, you know, <laughs> is code for white, right? <laughs> and so, you know, it's people are getting better, but those are the kind of things that we have to really push through still. And going back to you, Vali, when it comes to representation from behind the scenes, how much do you think about the way you're representing character from the writing process? 
This is a great question because I think it's changed a lot for me over time. I started my writing career in 2003 and I never thought about it at all. And I now think about it a lot. And I don't think it's unique to me. I think it's something my white colleagues do and every every single one of us does where we're very aware of what we are doing with these characters and how it might what we might be saying by having a character of a certain ethnicity or race or creed act in a certain way and it and it's coming not just from a representation point of view but also a boringness point of view like hmm. if if you're doing stuff that falls into a, a groove of a, something we've seen before. That's probably a stereotype. And when you're watching it on TV, you're not going to be that interested in it. And that, like, when you guys talk about Never Have I Ever, and it was interesting listening to Risha talk about it, part of what I love about that show is this was a world that I grew up in and I've never seen on TV. And I talked to friends who did not gr grow up as Indian Americans in a pretty white school, and they lock into the show. But part of what they like seeing is going home with Davy and seeing her family life in something that's new and interesting to them. Um, and seeing the dynamics of that, which are not just everyone is very happy. It's not a, it's not a just we're fantastic minority family show, if that makes sense. So adding representation that feels outside of those stereotypes has just made stuff that more people would watch. So I think we think about it a lot from that perspective as well. You know, but I just wondered, like you as a person too, um, given that you had already been in Hollywood for all this time and you'd been writing these big shows, to then see yourself represented on the screen, did that actually do something for you emotionally, you think? Or were you just kind of like, okay, that's nice? <laughs> it did. I was actually talking to two uh, biracial friends of mine, Danny Pudi, who was a, a, a half Indian, half Polish actor who was on Community, and a friend of mine named Adam County, who was a half black, half white writer. And we were talking about this exact issue, just this is something that writers of color and artists of color th talk about all the time. Because growing up, we didn't think it affected us at all. And then now that we have our own kids, it's somehow hitting us differently, and maybe it's just the time. And the example I was talking about yesterday is, the movie Black Panther came out and I watched the movie and I liked it and I didn't really think that much about it. Like I was like, this is a cool Marvel movie. And then I have seven year old twins and I put it on for them last weekend. And it was, first of all, a bad idea. They, <laughs> they were very scared by it. <laughs> and I, I foolishly thought because other parents had said their kids had watched it and liked it, that they would be okay. But the beginning of the movie, before they got scared, I was watching them watch this big blockbuster action movie where the heroes are not just people of color, but like some of them are pretty dark skinned. Like that colorism was such a big mm. part of what I experienced growing up. Not that it was affecting me and my psyche actively, but what I was looking at on screen. And I got very emotional watching my kids have mm. no reaction to that and thinking like, this is a totally like normal hero. <laughs> and to to see that they to see them watching that movie and thinking that this is like a normal story that you can see in the world and it's not like it's the Black Panther coming out as the first African American blockbuster Marvel character was not something that registered with them as being important it was just a normal mm. part part of life for them that i found to be really really moving yeah. 
It's Youth Takeover Week here at KQED, and we're talking about representation in the film and TV industry, specifically South Asian representation. Joined by my co-host here, Mahi Jarawala, junior at Monta Vista High School, and Khadija Khan, a junior at Santa Clara High. They produced this show. We're also joined by Vali Chandrasekharan, a writer on and producer on Modern Family, as well as on 30 Rock, and Raj Rajgavan. A head of talent at the Color Creative Management Company. Um, we would love to hear from you. Have you seen your family life or community accurately portrayed on TV or in a movie? When did that happen? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED forum. Raj, how did you end up at Color Creative? So um, I uh, joined Color Creative about six months ago. Um, uh, the company is run by a woman named Talitha Watkins, who I overlapped with when I was an agent at CAA. And um, at the time, I was at another management company, and she approached me and said they were thinking about starting a talent division, um, and would I be interested in leading it? And for me, it was just a very, very easy yes. Um, Talitha is incredible. And the company itself is owned by Issa Rae, who I think is one of the most creative, interesting, dynamic, um, beloved people in the industry right now. And sort of what Issa represents in terms of working with diverse talent and women and LGBT voices um, is so aligned with the kinds of things that I want to be doing and the kinds of people I want to be working with. So um, as I say, it was a very easy yes. And I'm, I'm very, very happy. Uh, to have done it. And what interested you in working in the film industry specifically? Yeah, I mean, I um, I acted in high school and college, and wow. I, I always loved it. And I knew that it was never going to be the career for me. I wasn't, frankly, good enough. But um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I also was that kid who would read the, you know, Entertainment Weekly and the, the newspaper, the entertainment section, when there were previews about the fall TV shows. I mean, you guys are too young to know what that is, but like... Yeah, they're like, like we don't that. understand any of the words you just said. Sorry, sorry. But there was like a whole big spectacular about these are all the new shows that are coming out in September. And I would like pour over the television grid to see what shows I wanted to watch. And sort of the idea of being part of that business side of it was really fascinating to me. And and being, um, you know, behind the scenes and and being part of making those decisions of what shows get made and how they get made, it just sounded really cool. So um, I fell into it by starting at a different agency, UTA, uh, when I first moved to LA, and I just, I really loved it. I loved the the pace of it, the energy, the access to information, talking to like people you saw on television. That was all just so fun for me. Yeah, and you initially majored in computer science. So what was your journey to getting into the talent management field? and how was that like, your overall journey of getting into this field from initially majoring in computer science? Yeah, it was definitely a leap. I mean, I, I majored in computer science, and I had a consulting job in the Bay Area for um, a few years after college. And um, I, I sort of decided to make the transition into the business. And uh, all the advice I got was move to L.A., obviously, as Bali <laughs> pointed out. You have to be in L.A. Got to be around. Um, <laughs> Always be around. I wrote that down. Exactly. And go work at an agency because you will talk to casting folks and producers and executives and studio people and lawyers and publicists and their assistants. And you'll figure out um, 
what lane of the business you want to be in. And so I did that. I moved here. Um, you know, it was going from like a nice consulting job to making $10 an hour, you know, basically <laughs> being somebody's secretary. Seems like a good um, decision. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. It was, it was confounding to a lot of people in my life, but, um, yeah, it, it, um, I, once I got here, it felt really right. And I'm, I, you know, it, it felt like there was a path forward for me, which was really exciting. And when you initially make that jump, right, and you talk about having this successful consulting job here in the Bay Area and then moving down there and kind of starting from the bottom again, what do you think sort of helped you go, like, keep going when, you know, things kind of got rough for you at the beginning there? Um, definitely, like, it was very helpful having had a job outside of the entertainment business and having had a life before then and sort of having interests and friends and, and stuff not in the business. Um I think I was lucky to have parents who didn't quite understand what I was doing, but also were supportive of what I was doing. And I also think that um, landing in the mailroom at the agency where I did, um, you're kind of, you're in the same boat as a bunch of other people, right? So I had, um, you know, in my mailroom class, there was a woman who had just graduated from Yale. There was a guy who had an MBA from Penn. I mean, it wasn't like <laughs> we were all scrubs. So we were all sort of like these high achieving people doing this weird job. And that was my that was my core group. And so we all kind of had each other's back and could commiserate and vent and, you know, understand the kind of surreal situation we were in. Yeah. It is Youth Takeover Week here at KQED. We're talking about South Asian representation in the film and TV industry with Khadija Khan, a junior at Santa Clara High, and Mahi Jarawala, a junior at Monta Vista. They produced the show, booked all these guests, got everybody together. Uh, we're joined by Raj Raghavan, a head of talent at Color Creative Management Company, and Bali Chandrasekharan, writer and producer on the shows, you may have heard of them, Modern Family and 30 Rock. Earlier, we were joined by Richa Morjani, an actress on the show Never Have I Ever. We'd love to uh, hear from you. Are you South Asian here in the Bay? Is this conversation resonating with you? Are your kids trying to go into film and TV like these rapscallions on the line? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or you can find us on twitter facebook and instagram we're kqed forum i'm alexis madrigal stay tuned for more with khadija khan and mahi jarwala Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Youth Takeover Week, the week in which we work with high school students for quite a while, actually, some weeks there, (laughs) to uh, put together shows that they really love and they're passionate about. Um, This morning, we've got Khadija Khan, a junior at Santa Clara High, and Mahi Jarawala, a junior at Monta Vista. Uh, I wish you could see them in the studio. They're definitely (laughs) repping their high schools, uh, if you're out there listening. Um, They produced this show. We are also joined by Vali Chandrasekharan, a writer and producer on Modern Family and 30 Rock, and Raj Rajgavan, head of talent at Color Creative Management Company. We, uh, why don't we keep going and talk with Raj a little bit more? Yeah, so Raj, and when you're talking about your journey of getting into the talent management field, I'd like to learn more about how you received support from getting into the field. Did you get support from family and other people around you? And were there other South Asian people going into this field? Um, I had support from my family. I definitely had a little bit of financial support, which is obviously helpful. And then, excuse me. Just the sort of like, you know, as I said, you know, we don't know what you're doing, but let's see how it goes. Make sure you have a backup plan. Um, But no, in terms of the other part of it, I, I, you know, it's still like a, there are very few um, representatives who are South Asian in the business. So I didn't, you know, looking around at the time, there were very few people that I could look to as sort of role models as a, you know, South Asian person in the business. so the support that I got was mainly from, you know, other assistants, other colleagues, people kind of trying to to rise the ranks the same way I was. Yeah. Let's bring in one more voice into our conversation. We've got Jasmine Batten. She's a research fellow at the UCLA Center for Scholars and Storytellers. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Jasmine, why don't you tell us a little bit about the UCLA Center for Scholars and Storytelling and the work that you do there? Absolutely. So Center for Scholars and Storytellers, or CSF, is an organization that collaborates with the creative community to unlock the power of storytelling and really help the next generation thrive and grow. You know, we bridge that gap between scientific research and media creation to lift up the lived experiences of adolescents for storytellers. We were started in 2019 by Dr. Yalza T. Ull, and our primary aim is to support those content creators who are working towards changing entrenched cultural narratives around key issues like diversity, equity, inclusion, mental health, and inequality. You know, for me, these were topics that I cared so much about, and, you know, I was burning for a way to get to apply my research skills and make change, and I came across CSS. You know, we've gotten to work with titans like Disney and in my own work as a research fellow with them, I've gotten to work with Barbie and Nickelodeon. We get to talk about representation to really encourage authentic and inclusive storytelling, which we know helps adolescents to connect with others and understand their own experiences in a deeper and more meaningful way. And what does that current research say about the importance of representation? My gosh, representation is just really so important, right? Um, it impacts self-esteem, development of ethnic identity, connection to culture, um, as well as the futures that adolescents imagine for themselves, right? Research shows us that positive representation encourages adolescents, but also adults, to explore, be more curious about themselves um, and their potential. Representation can help like combat that insecurity and negative self-perception that comes with absent or negative representation. You know, when we have representation there, we see more connection um, with yourself as well as 
others over what they're seeing. Um, we, we see this happen in real time on social media, and, and it's so important. We also find that representation is incredibly important for people who aren't in the group being represented, mm. right? Research shows us that yeah. negative representations or representations of violence against a marginalized group are correlated with harmful rhetoric and violence in real life versus, you know, positive and productive representation, having that potential to challenge harmful views and stereotypes. Yeah, I think it's interesting in the research as well, how it shows that misrepresentation is almost worse than no representation, mm. no representation at all, because people develop these incorrect perceptions about people, and they otherwise wouldn't have these if they weren't watching these television shows. Absolutely, especially when that misrepresentation often with South Asians is like, you know, mockery and violence, you know, then South Asians see that and start to believe that that's inevitable or that they themselves are wrong. Let's bring in a caller. Let's bring in uh, Lubna in Palo Alto. Welcome. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, and thanks for the show. This is great. And um, thanks to the new hosts I and mean, the young hosts as well. Um, <laughs> So basically, um, I, I grew up here, I'm way older than you guys, and um, I grew up um, you know, in this area, played with the you know, white Barbie dolls, all that stuff. But I remember distinctly, I think, I don't know if it was the Rockford Files or Columbo, I don't even know what show, but I was watching a show with my dad, and um, it, it was the first time I saw a Indian, um, so, you know, a South Asian woman on, like a, as a guest star on this show, and she was like Miss India, so that was what her role was. And she was in danger and she had to be, of course, rescued by a white male, but forget that. But um, anyway, it was neat seeing somebody who looks like me on TV. And that was kind of this huge, like moment, like, wow, that's like, I didn't even know that it was something that I kind of wanted to see. And then you see it and you're like, wow, this is kind of neat. So that was kind of like a moment when I was like, wow, this is kind of cool to see somebody who, you know, um, looked like me on, on, on the big screen. And it was like, wow, that was kind of nice. So I, did, I just remember that as a child, like thinking, um, that's kind of cool to see that. Yeah. Lubna, thank you so much. That, I mean, yeah. of course, now you've got a lot more options uh, in a good way. Um, thanks so much for that call. Yeah. And as we talk about that type of representation, I want to ask you, Jasmine, how does proper representation look like? And how does it differ from tokenism that we've been seeing in media? This is such a great question because it's really hard to define proper representation because ideally it looks different all the time because there's a lot of it, right? But the common threads that I often discuss in my research are points of quantity, quality, and centrality. So quantity is that idea of enough representation or moving beyond what Richard was saying about there only being room for one, right? Um, then quality is about complex storytelling and multidimensional characters that move beyond relying on stereotypes um, and break free of like kind of like white imaginations of what we should be. And then centrality is about having main characters, right? And a lot of attention on these characters um, and ideally in positive ways, you know, because historically people of color have been cast in villainous roles. So we're really wanting to move beyond that. Um, at CSS, we have our authentically inclusive representation report, our AIR report that talks about these issues and really points to representation across ethnicities, race, genders, sexualities, disabilities, needing to appear not just on screen, but behind the camera, right? Um, and proper representation really differs from tokenism because tokenism relies on characters being isolated, being built on stereotypes and often being targeted. We see that token characters are operate mostly as devices 
um, for usually other white characters rather than for themselves. Tokenism is really a, a performance of diversity within media rather than the genuine representation it claims to be. Right. And for Vali, back to you. As a writer, how do you think of representing characters and how does the issue of tokenism appear in the writing room? Tokenism is something we talk about a lot because there's nothing worse than bringing a character of color on screen and it feels like a token character. Mm. You, it's worse than doing nothing. It makes me so angry when I see it. It come, It's something we all talk about all the time when we're when we're watching shows or getting together after watching shows. And I do think people um, understand why that's a problem and why if if we are going to bring in a people a person of color that it needs to be they can't, it they it needs to be in a meaty role and they have to have something to do and it doesn't shouldn't just be. The, the stuff that we add for them to do shouldn't just be about their race or their creed or their their skin tone. Um, I also wanted to quickly add that I didn't realize Raj studied computer science and was a strategy consultant. That was also my path. <laughs> <laughs> so we have maybe discovered the way to get in, uh, into this field. Guys, the whole reason Amazing. that we were supposed to be doing this show was so that they could convince their parents they could just go into Hollywood without doing computer science. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you're making their, making their parents very happy in the other room. Um, you know, Bob, I have a question for you. Do you think when we talk about those stories, the stereotypes and the kind of token stories, the sort of purely um, the, the characters who are there merely to advance a white storyline, do you think it was white writers liked those stories? Or do you think they thought a primarily or a mostly white audience wanted to hear those stories? That's a great question. And it's definitely, I'm going to say, most of the writers I know from that era are very thoughtful, nice people who are who who weren't trying to downplay anybody. I think they were literally never thinking about it. <laughs> it never occurred to them that, oh, this lead character, unless they were a, a doctor or somebody in their life that they had met before who was South Asian, we should make them South Asian. They're just their set pit place was. This is a white character. And I think there was probably a very star-driven mindset. And because of the histories of who we put on TV and who got elevated, those were always generally white men or white people. And so people thought, oh, if we put a person of color in this role, it probably won't reach that wide audience. Mm -hmm. And it will feel like a niche show. It will... um, but that started to break out when I was even in middle school. Like, I know there were all black families on, you know, Family Matters, which was a TGIF mm-hmm. show, which was a mass show and a massive, massive hit. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe started to change things, but it made an African-American family maybe fit into that. And it took a lot longer for an Asian-American family to for that to work. I know Margaret Cho had a show when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I think it was called All American Girl and people were very excited about that. I know I was very excited about that. And for whatever reason that show did not go many many seasons and I think it caused people to back away from that a little bit. And because there weren't so many tries because that was an era where there was only four networks and a few hours of programming every night, anytime something didn't work out, people use that as evidence that it wasn't going to work out. But now when we have 
streaming and all these other options and great shows like Insecure, which I think reach a wide audience, I think there's so many more bites at the apple um, that we're seeing that some of this stuff works and crosses over and maybe doesn't cross over. And that's fine because you can get a huge audience that way. Yeah, and we got to talk with Richard Murjani earlier of the show Never Have I Ever. And as you talked about, I think that was a beautiful representation of this South Asian family that so many can, people around the world loved and connected to. What do you think was so special about that show in the way that it was written? Um, because so many people re- were able to relate to it. You know, as an Indian American watching that, you can definitely tell that the jokes and some of the things that were being portrayed is kind of only understanding by that Indian American audience, but they still included that in which i thought was beautiful uh it it was really beautiful i think one thing that really struck me personally when that show came out is when i first moved to la it was 2003 and i started writing television in 2005 and i pointedly did not want to write indian characters or an indian family show because Mm. i thought that would make me an indian writer and i didn't just think that it definitely would have made me an indian writer I remember uh, black writer friends telling me, like, where are you going to work? Like, there's there are black shows, there are white shows, but there are no <laughs> Indian shows. And I thought, I don't have to make that choice. I'm a writer. The nice thing about being a writer and not an actor is I disappear into the characters. I can write for Jason Lee and My Name is Earl. I can write for Alec Baldwin and Tina Fey and 30 Rock. I can write for a white family in Modern Family. And I love disappearing into those characters. That's my job. That's It's really fun to to write jokes in those places. And I, re- I ran away from it for years and years and years. And I thought being able to fit to write to anybody the voice of my showrunner the voice of those characters that's my superpower and then the world changed and i realized i was changing too it wasn't just um people it wasn't just white people who i think were looking at and looking around and saying like oh we need more representation i as an indian american guy looked around and thought why am i not plumbing these depths of my own life experience in my own brain. And when I saw Never Have I Ever, Mindy moved into LA the same time I did. It was really thrilling for me to see Mindy, who had already kind of gone down that road a little bit in the Mindy project and her own shows and her own characters, but really representing her full complicated family. It was just, it was so fun. It was so fun and it was so thrilling. And I remember thinking like, oh yeah, we don't, everyone else that I know gets to put themselves at the center of their show. And I never even wanted to. And that was weird. Huh? Let's um, bring in another call. Let's bring in uh, Bavina from Santa Clara. Hi. um, Thank you for having me on the show and kudos to the young producers. Um, My daughter is actually also a junior at Santa Clara High named Khadija. Khadija (laughs) might know her. Um, Anyway, I I just wanted to make... um, a comment about how my and my husband's experience is so different from our kids. Uh, we were South Asian kids born and raised in the Bay Area and, of course, thirsting for positive South Asian representation. Um, and now our kids are third generation Americans. And I remember a couple of things. One is I kept them home the day of the inauguration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I was so excited for them to see Kamala Harris being sworn in as a woman, as half Indian, half black. And they were excited, but not that excited. And then I realized, oh, I guess that's the point of representation. <laughs> it's supposed to feel normal. Um, and the same thing happened with Miss Marvel. When Miss Marvel came out, my husband and I were 
rolling on the floor laughing and we were so excited about all the little jokes and the representation and I'm from India, he's from Pakistan, so the whole storyline of partition was really impactful. Um, and my kids appreciated the show, but I think, again, they kind of took for granted that there was South, represent- South Asian representation. It wasn't as, ex- that part of it wasn't as exciting. And um, there was a little bit of disappointment when we saw that, but then also, like I said, this um, realization that well, it shouldn't feel so novel. It mm. should feel normal. That's the whole point of of the representation. So I just wanted to make that comment. Yeah, those Bavina, sort of generational great. differences. Great, yeah. great comment. Yeah, thank you so much. Definitely. And as we see the rise of more South Asian talent in the film industry and other career fields, Raj, I want to pass it to you. When it comes to the talent industry, what do you see in the future? And working with talent, do you see the rise of more South Asian talent? And how does Color Creative hope to foster this talent going into the future? I definitely see the rise of more South Asian talent and to sort of Bali's point, like the the idea that now there are writers who are writing stories um, for us and, and about our stories is very exciting. But I also think what would be really cool is, you know, as the last caller just kind of hinted at, um, telling stories from the perspective of Indian Americans who are, you know, we're not all doctors or, you know, terrorists or community store workers. It's, you know, finding that sort of like, middle class striving and and oftentimes mediocrity and you know telling those really cool fun stories in a way that you have the point of view of someone who's indian american or south asian um and it's not just through the lens of you know david duchovny and californication right i think that's really exciting to me we've been talking about south asian representation in the film and tv industry We've been joined this morning by Raj Raghavan, head of talent at Color Creative Management Company. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Also been joined by Bali Chandrasekharan, writer and producer on Modern Family and 30 Rock. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This has been so fun. So fun. Thank you, Bali. Also been joined by Jasmine Batten, a research fellow at the UCLA Center for Scholars and Storytellers. Thank you so much for having me. Earlier, Mahia and Khadija talked with Richa Morjani, who plays Kamala in Netflix's Never Have I Ever. This show was produced by our all-stars here with KQED Youth Takeover. Khadija Khan, junior at Santa Clara High School. Great job today. Thank you for having me. And Mahi Jarawala, back for another round as a co-host, junior at Monta Vista High School. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. This is great. Excellent work. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.